0: the uh, happy Father's Day to all our dads out there. Mm. get that to move. Nope. Larry, you... Something to it. I broke it. Yeah? yeah there you go. All right. So, I always get nervous when I don't see the picture up there. I've jumped up and taken the spotlight from someone else. But uh, I, I hope you... Uh, It's a momentous weekend, isn't it? Uh, Yesterday was the first ever uh, federal holiday for uh, Juneteenth, right? So uh, I don't know about you, but there's definitely a learning curve there as we uh, learn not just the significance of that holiday, but uh, how to celebrate it. Uh, So there's going to be opportunity to create whole new uh, traditions, I guess, for everybody around that that date. Of course, there are many people that have been celebrating that for a hundred and whatever years. So, um, coincidentally, uh, this week, as you would have seen our text, uh, we see that it's going to touch on the the subject of slaves. And uh, so it's a passage of Scripture that... um, just seems to have a little bit of everything in it. Uh, it it's got, and, and they're all hot button issues. You know, the, the first one there is about how Christians relate to the state and the emperor. The second is advice for slaves. The third one then is uh, how wives and husbands uh, relate to one another. So each of those could be a um, not just a sermon, but a sermon series, or even better, probably a, a Bible class, twelve-week Bible class, just on First uh, Peter chapter two and three. Uh, but uh, we've got let's let's be generous and say thirty minutes here. Uh, the, the first time I, I did this for the online video, it went about forty-five minutes, um, so I just ripped up <laughs> that whole manuscript, and we'll see. How we go this morning. What I want to do is we, we look at this text that was just uh, read for us. It is, we're obviously not going to be able to answer all the questions. You know? There's a lot of questions here. And uh, we can't address them. But I want to give us a framework, a, a big picture framework, uh, that can allow you to explore these questions, your questions, in a little bit more, more depth. Um and, and so that's our, our goal. And of course, I'm always willing to have follow-up conversations uh, to explore these topics if there's any in particular that uh, you would like to dig into a little deeper. I believe the key to this passage begins in verses 11 and 12. And it really should be where chapter 3 begins, at the start of uh, verse 11. We see there that there's a, a change, a, new, a transition to a, a new section. And this is a, a section that runs all the way through into chapter 4. In many ways, it's like the heart of the letter. Uh, the first uh, through to verse uh, 10 of chapter 2 in 1 Peter has really been a, an extended introduction. You know, uh, establishing, laying a foundation. But now he gets into the heart, and he begins, we see, with the greeting, dear friends. Okay, It's a little unusual to put that in the middle of a letter, or beloved, I think, as uh, some translations begin there. And and so that's a good indicator that it's a big start of a section. But then we notice very quickly that he, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. And that's been a consistent theme throughout this book. We saw that way back in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, where the letter is addressed to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And so this identity of foreigners and exiles is very important for us to understand what's going on. Um, In a letter as short as 1 Peter is, I mean, it's five chapters, but if you compare it to Romans or First or Second Corinthians, it's, it's considerably shorter than those letters. You can't lay out the meaning of the universe, right? And each person's place and each institution's place within the universe. And so sometimes we come to, the, to texts, and we think that's what the... We approach them as though that's the author's goal to explain the way the whole universe fits together. In reality, Peter is writing to a group of churches in a particular location with a particular set of circumstances addressing their particular challenges. And so he emphasizes certain things that at times in our life may need emphasis and at other times in our life may not be. We may need to go to Ephesians and emphasize what Ephesians Emphasizes So it, it doesn't mean they're not true, or they stop being true at different points in time. But we, we need to recognize that they're occasional. They're written for particular occasions to particular people. And so Peter is emphasizing that these Christians are foreigners and exiles. They are living in their community, and yet separate from their community. And and so he establishes that identity at the very beginning. So this is how I process... I know, it looks a little scary. Uh, This is how I process verses, okay, when I come to a text. So in verses 11 and 12, we see these themes, and I've, I've kind of put each theme in a different color there. And these themes are going to recur throughout the uh, what's to come. okay. So everything that follows is expanding on these ideas, or applying these ideas to a particular circumstance. Foreigners and exiles. Uh, abstain from sinful desires. I didn't even colour that, but that really goes back to the idea of holiness, which we saw last week in, in chapter 1. Verse 15, as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. So uh, that, that's a, a theme there. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives. So the good lives, this idea of living good, um, as judged, this is as judged by your community, by the pagans. This is not necessarily judged good by God's standard. I mean, don't go outside God's standard. God would have a higher standard, though. But live in a way that people around you think that you're good. Think uh, to the qualification of an elder, right? That they have a good reputation in the community is one of those qualifications. So live in a way that... um, Live such good lives among the pagans. Among the pagans. You see... He's not telling the Christians, hey, you're being persecuted, or or at least you're being socially isolated from people you used to hang out with. You're being um, mistreated in different ways. He says, but don't run away from that. The answer is not to go and live your own life somewhere else. The answer is not to form a community of your own. The answer is not to disregard all their laws The answer is to live within your community. Live good lives within, among the pagans. So that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, okay, so so they're not going to like you necessarily, they're going to accuse you of doing wrong, they're not going to realise until later that what you were doing was good, um, that they may... I didn't have my, my lapel mic on, and you've been turning up the volume, I think. Um, so, so how do we live out this, uh, um, this life? How do we bring glory to God through the way that we live? How do we live among pagans? I think that's a question we still, uh, it's still relevant to us, right? How do we work in a world of business? when the people we work with have a different set of morals than we do? How do we work as an educator when maybe at times we're asked to educate things that we don't agree with? How do we um, make entertainment choices with friends or with our children's friends when other families have different values and different standards? How do we navigate this world living among pagans? in a way that still honors God, while recognizing that we're different, we're strangers, foreigners, and exiles in this world. Well, the word that Peter is going to um, focus on as he goes through here is the word submit. Okay? The word submit. Not a particularly popular word in, in our culture. It's seen as a very passive word, I think, um, in fact, I suspect that many of us have uh, this idea of submission. Um, and so it's another way of, of crying uncle in, in a professional wrestling match, right? You tap out and you lose by submission. And, and I think that for a lot of people, when they, we talk of submission or when God talks of submission, it's what they think. They think, oh, you want me to give in to be defeated by the person who is stronger are more powerful than I. And if I just submit to that oppression, to that greater strength, then that's a godly way of living. But that doesn't sound particularly good or godly, uh, does it? So I I want us to to kind of think differently about that. One of the ways of thinking of this word submit, because the word in English is submit. It's a translation from a Greek word, of course. So it has a range of possibilities of which word could be used to, to translate it. And so one of those words that may be more helpful is the idea of step back. Okay? Step back. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, is there's no need to be characterized as aggressive. Okay? Don't, don't go through life with a character of aggressiveness. Um, but, but first step back, evaluate the situation, don't retaliate on your own. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that you don't advocate for change, uh, it doesn't mean you, you'd never stand up for yourself, but it means control your response, okay? And, uh, and do so, respond to whatever your circumstance is in a godly manner and, and figure out what that means. So submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority. That's a, a very big statement, okay, to every human authority. Um, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Very optimistic view of government there, uh, that they punish, only punish what is wrong and commend what is right, um, and the description of the emperor is the supreme authority. So again, we need to put that in a context where obviously God is the supreme authority. And and so when we are to submit to this authority, it's still first submitting to God. So when we, we think, if we were to go back to verse 9, if you have your Bible there, it says that uh, you are God's Special possession uh, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this is your relationship with God that that you belong to God, but he called you because you belong to him because he called you out of darkness into light, and that is something that you chose to respond to. You chose to respond to the light, to follow the light, to go. To the light. And, um, and that choice means that from that point on, we still get choices about how to live, about how to live as a Christian, how we're, we're going to do that. And so in verse 16, it says, Live as free people, but do not uh, use your freedom to cover up evil. Live as God's slaves. And so we have this paradox of live as free people, live as God's slaves. And you're going, okay, which one is it? Paul gives the same sort of picture over in Romans where he says, you know, you, you were a slave to sin and to death. Now you're a slave to God. And the idea is that we volunteer for this relationship with God. That we volunteer to follow god's instruction so it's a freedom we can walk away from that so we're living as free we can walk away from it but we volunteer to submit to god and likewise we volunteer to submit to these other positions to the emperors and the the local government leaders Uh, we see that for slaves and for wives that, that there's a volunteering that goes with it we're free in christ free from, from sin, free from the burden of guilt. We have the spiritual freedom, these choices that God gives us. Uh, but there's also uh, a choice that we make to submit to God. I think what is happening here particularly is that when you proclaim freedom, okay, uh, there's a risk or, or a chance that people will think, oh, anarchy. <laughs> right? If, if I'm free, if I have freedom in Christ, then I can do what I want. Uh, we see that, even Paul will say, oh, what grace can abound? I'll just go and sin. Right? And then grace abounds. Paul's well, like, no, 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 no. Not like that. Right? So people can get carried away with freedom, where, where it becomes a destructive The freedom says, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. And I'm the only agent that matters. And so freedom needs to be moderated uh, by guidelines. Uh, And so I think Paul is saying, look, church, you're free. But that doesn't mean that you get to disregard Roman rules. You can't claim, oh, I'm not paying taxes because I'm a citizen of heaven. God is the only true king. And so I'm going to disregard Caesar. That planning permit the town requires me to get? I'm not going to do that. Jesus didn't require a planning permit. Um, And and so we can go through our life and say, I'm going to choose. I'm free in Christ. I'm going to choose. He's my king. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm an exile and a foreigner here on earth. And so... Paul uh, uh, Peter is establishing how you should live he says no live as productive members of your community live under the rules the authority of your community participate in your community because remember what the uh, verse 11 and 12 says it says that when you do that they may see your good deeds and glorify god that's our motivation Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Bring glory to God. Honor God in all that you do. Verse 17 is is also really important. And I think it's easy to miss. If you have an NIV uh, like I do, it's uh, even easier to miss. In my version, it says, show proper respect to everyone. The reason it's deceptive is that is different than what it says for the emperor. Show proper respect to everyone. And then jump down to the emperor. It says, honor the emperor. But it's the same word. And and there are other English translations that say, honor everyone. Honor the emperor. I think that's better. And the reason it's better is that it actually uh, gives this very subversive understanding of social structures. You see, even though... He, Peter has just described uh, the emperor as the supreme authority. Here he says, honor everyone. That means you honor the slave. means you honor the women. You honor the merchant. You honor the teacher. You honor the local government official. You honor everyone. Okay, what about the emperor? Oh, yeah, you honor him too. Right. If you honor the slave, you'll honor the emperor. It doesn't say the emperor gets anything more than that. The emperor doesn't get anything more than the slave gets. Or the merchant gets. It's just you treat the emperor as a human. And you honor him. Now that sounds very egalitarian to us. Maybe it's fair. But in their culture, the emperor was regarded as a god. In fact, one of his titles was son of God. And so, it's noteworthy that the instruction just before honor the emperor is fear God. So, honor everyone, love your family of believers, fear God, you're sort of working your way up to God, and it's like, oh yeah. And that honor everyone means honor the emperor too. But he's not God you fear God, you honor the emperor as a human. So it's actually this really subversive um, description of who, who the emperor is uh, that um, and, and so as we are to submit to human authority, it's to the degree that human authority submits to heavenly authority and it's uh, not to elevate that human authority above God. All right, there's a lot more we can talk about there. But let's let's move down. Slaves in verse 18. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, maybe you're hearing alarm bells going off when you read that. Because this would be one of the verses, one of the passages, that in, in the um, shameful years of American history was used by slave masters to exact obedience from their slaves. They would, they, they would convert them to Christianity and then say, okay, now you're a Christian, your God says that you're to submit to your masters. And you're to submit if we're good and you're to submit if we're bad. Now do what you're told. Get in the fields. Take that beating. Pick that cotton. Do all that stuff. And and for this reason, there are many people that aren't Christians that reject Christianity because they would say that has been the teaching of the church for centuries that this was used to keep people in oppression and in abusive situations. I think it's a difficult verse to read right? so there's, there's a couple of ways of coming at this the first i believe is to recognize that the situation where people where peter was writing was quite different from the deep south that he's writing to um the, the term for slave that he uses is, is a technical word that means a household slave and uh, in, in Greco-Roman culture, there were many of these. About, one estimate said about a third of the population were these household slaves. And it didn't involve necessarily, in many cases, manual, manual labor. There were many instances where somebody would actually choose to go into what we call slavery in that description. They would choose that as a way of ensuring stability and security for themselves. And they would be, you know, kind of indentured to that um, wealthy person. And uh, they would, sometimes they were better educated than their master. And they would take on responsibilities such as running finances or um, maybe being the, the medical person on staff or uh, different, different things. And... and um, or the educator of the children they're responsible for children's education and so they participated in the life of the household. not equal, certainly not equal, I'm not trying to say that but different from what we would would think of uh, in American history. And then the other thing that I, I read as I looked through here is that oftentimes uh, by about the age 30 on, on average, oftentimes by about age 30, People had reached the point where they were able to buy their freedom. Okay? That, that was something that was encouraged. It was a normal part of this role of slavery in that society. So you could, people would volunteer for it, and they would do it with a period of time, and then they could buy their freedom and, uh, and be on their way into whatever other career they wanted. And, and then, lastly, of course, this is not a race based slavery. Uh, it was a social station. It may be some people were certainly born into slavery, but it may be uh, people from that had been in uh, enemies of the country that have been brought back and relocated. Uh, or, as I said, maybe people that chose it because other avenues of life were not viable at that point in time. So all of those things, just to say, um, that's very different from involuntary servitude for life um, with... With the working conditions experienced here. So I, I don't believe that as Peter writes this advice to slaves in uh, Western, uh, sorry, Eastern and Northern Turkey, that we can say, oh, what he wrote to those slaves is general, generalizable to every person who has ever lived as a slave in any situation. Uh, So, the advice he gives these people in this situation may not be the same as what he gives. In fact, I would say I doubt that it's the same as what he would give to uh, slaves in the American South 200 years ago. Or to the advice that he would give to uh, children working in Southeast, Southern Asia or or the Middle East as slaves today. Or to those caught up in sex trafficking today. He's not going to say, oh, yeah, sure, go and be raped and be submissive and, uh, and, and do what your master tells you, and that's what God wants for you. That, that, that's a horrible situation to, to picture. And so I, I think we need to be able to distinguish the cultural situation that Peter was writing to here And and that's hard for us to do because it's the same word for all of those situations and, uh, and, and has been abused. So I recognize the challenges there. The other thing that Peter does here is he's not trying at all to say, well, slavery then is a good thing just because they're in a different situation than the image that usually comes to our minds. He's not. He recognizes that slavery is still difficult, that there are still harsh um, masters, that they can be beaten, that there were certainly physical and sexual abuse that took place in some of those situations, just as there were also good and considerate masters. But he says, to have a good, to, to, to live out your witness for Christ at this point in time, in your circumstances, He says, one of the things that you can encourage yourself with is that the unjust suffering that you're experiencing is a place where Jesus will meet you. That Jesus will meet you in your unjust suffering. Because Jesus also experienced injustice, suffering, and death. In fact, it's one of the great quandaries of of Judaism expecting a Messiah who was going to be conquering to deliver the nation to, to come in majesty. And instead, you run into Isaiah 53, which Peter leans on a whole lot in verses 22 through 25. And uh, he, he, he says it's this suffering servant image that is going to be so, that is so important for all of us to embrace. That Jesus doesn't come to save us all from suffering but rather through suffering and so when you experience that injustice because the world isn't fair that jesus is there with you and again this is not the answer to everything but it's an answer for some and and i think it's an important one in in um, African-American scholar by the name of James Cone wrote a book um, called The Cross and the Lynching Tree, and he makes this point, he says, talking about here the American slave experience, of how even though this passage was used to submit, to um, coerce slaves to to be submissive, not to rebel, to do what they're told. Um, He says even though that's the case, They would come down and they'd keep reading. And they could see that that Jesus was identifying with them. That their unjust, unnecessary suffering was something that Jesus related to. And so they could recognize that as as Jesus found, found solidarity with them in their suffering, in their squalid living conditions, that they were closer to Jesus that they were reading Scripture in a better way than their master was in his church on Sunday morning. Because Jesus was with them in their suffering. And so the the step back, Okay, I want to to reinforce that, that idea behind that word submit. To step back. He says to the slaves, don't retaliate, don't get angry, don't don't um, uh, seek your own retribution. Trust God for justice. Because here's the other thing, is that all of Israel and all of Christianity lives within the shadow of the Exodus. And, and when he says, when, when he throughout this letter, he describes the Christians as foreigners and as exiles. It reminds us of two characters in the Old Testament. The first is Abraham, but the second is the people of Israel. As they left Egypt and as they wandered in the wilderness, as they were foreigners and exiles without a land, without a home, and yet very much the people of God, who were not a people but now were a people. And the whole Exodus narrative, which again was one that in, in American, uh, the, the African-American church in the United States is the Exodus theme is one that they gravitated to and clung on to, and many of you probably know that more than I do. Um, But they live within the shadow that this is the reality, that God rescues people from slavery, that God overthrows world powers to bring justice. And we don't always understand the timing of that, but we're convinced of the power of God and the desire of God to accomplish that. And so I think that's another layer as we come to this, that you can't just read this and disregard the greater narrative that the God who wrote, inspired this is also the God who overthrew that emperor, that that pharaoh, that supreme authority. God doesn't just say, yeah, go, do whatever you want, be whoever you want. He says, no, there's accountability. You're accountable to me. And that will come. In the meantime, He says, you have solidarity with Jesus. And he finishes in verse 25 by saying, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd overseer of your souls. Just as it was the sheep who suffered, that same sheep is also the shepherd. And there's the, the comfort and the optimism to move forward. Again, that's way... Too short on that topic, but uh, I, I want to come to to the next section here in chapter three, and uh, it says, "Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives." I know it's Father's Day. Um, I feel like I just jumped out of the pot and into the fire as we move from slavery to uh wives and we didn't talk about submission here husbands by the way really seem to get off fairly light don't they in chapter just in verse seven the one verse directed to husbands i'm not going to to get into all this uh beyond i'm going to make two points the first one is that this whole section as we look at uh Sort of the relationship between government and citizen, between slave and master, between husband and wife. It fits a template that in the ancient world was called a household code. And, uh, and you could find them in Greco Roman societies. It was a way of organizing society. If you had a stable home, this was a conviction of the Roman you know, intellectual, intellectuals of the day. If you had a stable society, you would have a stable a stable home, you would have a stable empire. Okay? And so the way to have a stable home was for everyone to have a designated role and to stay in that role. And so what we see several times in Scripture, uh, here in Ephesians, also in Colossians, uh, we see Paul and Peter uh, take that template, but infuse it with a Christian perspective. Okay? And so uh, if we go over to Ephesians 5, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to mention it. But in Ephesians 5, at the very beginning of Paul's household code, he says, submit to one another. Okay? The basis for everything that's going to come is submit to one another, mutual submission. There isn't a place for anyone to dominate that relationship. And then Paul goes on and says, uh, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. So really all he's saying is he's taking that general principle of submit to one another and then saying that means wives submit to your husbands. Husbands submit to your wives. Okay? Look out for their best interests. And even here when he gets to husbands uh, in the same way be considerate. Okay? That's that idea. Submit to their wishes. Right? Be considerate of their wishes. Don't impose your will. Think about what they want and what's best for them. So uh, as we go through here, again, it's important. But uh, the other thing in verses 1 and 2 here is that he's talking to wives that are married to non-Christians. And so when he says submit, he's saying again that step back. Don't be in their face. You've got to become a Christian. You know, you're going to burn if you don't turn, you know, and make their lives miserable because, you know, you think that's the right thing to do. Say so, no, step back, let your behavior point them to God okay? and, uh, and he says it, it's not he, he then redefines beauty is not an outward appearance but that of the inner self and and then I say just as in Ephesians five you say that submit to each other and then it's applied particularly to women. What uh, Peter does is that here he's making an application to, to wives and says live in this particular way but then over and we haven't really read this at all, we're not going to but in verses 13 through 16 in the same chapter we have advice given to the whole church and, and what's really interesting is how it mirrors or repeats, echoes the instructions just given to the wise okay so the, the even though it starts with specific application to the wise it's then generalized to the whole church have a look at these uh, examples i've put up here uh, just so you can see it so uh, the first is that focus on behavior okay that it's your behavior that is going to be persuasive in your interactions with people outside the church These wives who are married to non-Christians are going to reflect the church's interaction with a community that isn't Christian. And uh, so again, behavior is going to be important. Um, Here the the key word is holiness. Uh, Sanctify, so that idea to make holy uh, Christ as Lord, but uh, live in a holy manner. Remember back in chapter 1 that theme, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. So we see themes just running all the way through this book. Uh, He talks here about your inner self, okay? It's your attitude of your heart. Even though your behavior is important, that's going to come from having the right heart. Uh, Take care of that. Your beauty should be that of your inner self. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Um, The next one is gentleness. So... Uh, Your beauty is of a gentle and quiet spirit for the wives and for everyone. He says, live this way in gentleness and respect. In verse, uh, I think it's actually verse 6, not verse 4. Holy women of the past who put their hope in God. Uh, It might be 4. Verse 5, I'll get there. This is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God. This is how they live. And so, um, this idea of hope, right, is key to our relationship with God. It inspires the way that we live. And in verse uh, 15, give the reason for the hope that everyone has. Follow that example of those holy women. Uh, Do what is right. Do not give way to fear. That's... uh, after talking about Abraham and Sarah and the example of Sarah. Remember how Abraham uh, tried to palm her off on kings a couple of times as, as his sister? So really, he was treating her badly. And, uh, and so the writer here says in verse 6 that uh, she didn't give way to fear in those circumstances. and uh, but, but trusting God, I think, is implicit. And likewise, as the community gives threats, Christians. Don't fear. Do not be frightened. And uh, I think this is the last one. Do what is right. Okay? This emphasis on doing. We saw that back in verses 11. It's called do right. Do good. Live in this particular way so that people will have a good opinion of it. Alright. So all those examples, again not getting into those specifics, but just saying women don't feel targeted unduly here because I think what's the takeaway from all of this as I wrap up is to say I think Peter is using the examples of slaves and women as two groups in society that are marginalized in his society I guess many times in ours um, that are marginalized two groups of people that have to put up they're, they're accustomed to uh, being mistreated accustomed to being disrespected. And he's writing to a, you know, a bunch of people, if, if they're leaders in the church or, or others, if they're not slaves or women, who haven't experienced this before. To so people who have been involved in society, have been you know, active in the local clubs and committees and you know, business councils and government, local government agencies. And now they've come to Christ. And they've lost that position, and people don't won't talk to them, don't like them, won't give them business. And, and I think what Peter's saying is, learn, pay attention to the slaves, pay attention to the women, to the wives, because they've been living this way their whole life, and learn from them. Right? Learn from them. I, I think it's no accident. I didn't mention this before, in verse. Um, 16, he describes the whole church live as God's slaves. Then he goes on and says, slaves, this is how you are to live. And and I don't think that's an accident. I mean, I think he's speaking specifically to slaves, but it's this idea that what the teaching to them is generalizable to the church. The teaching of women, generalizable to the church. And I think they're examples for the church to follow. You want to learn how to live in this hostile world? And go learn from people who have been living in a hostile world for a lot longer than you. Your circumstance isn't as hard, isn't as difficult as you think it is. And above all, Jesus meets you in your suffering and saves you through your suffering. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged. This is a difficult lesson, difficult text. It's difficult to talk about suffering and say, I think this is part of the lesson that life is hard. The following Jesus doesn't guarantee ease of life. And I know there's lots of details that raise lots of questions. I think that's the big message that Peter's giving: People can survive. We can survive. Because others already have. And because of our connection and our relationship with Go back and read verses 11 and 12 before you get into anything else. I think that's the core of what Peter wants us to take away. Today. I hope that you're blessed and that you're able to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God this way, wherever you find yourself.